lord jesus you are indeed the lover of our souls the one who is the very righteousness of god for people who have no righteousness of their own we are such people we are a people who understand that to ever be in your presence it will require that we be clothed aright and that we stand in righteousness which is not our own it is a righteousness that has come from jesus the lover of our souls and it is to your bosom O lord jesus that we desire to fly this morning father i do pray for your people as we attempt to honor you with every decision every choice every piece of behavior every relationship might uh, you give us the mind of christ as we make those choices lord god we understand that marriage is uh, is a is a vital is is the most perhaps the most significant part of our lives and we understand that there's nothing good better than a good one and nothing worse than a bad one and i pray for those brothers and sisters today whose marriages have have developed fissures cracks breaks and that they might understand that those those separations can only be healed by selflessness denying of self and obedience to jesus christ and i pray that grace Evan might be in a, a position of helping marriages repair and flourish and that you might use us in everything that we do prepare us all for a week of romancing the home where we can emphasize all over again the great beauty of marital love and i pray oh god that as our worship service unfolds that you'll be pleased that as we conclude at the sacrament that we might all be reminded of the cornerstone of our faith jesus christ crucified in his name we pray amen is chapter 6. Follow as I begin reading at verse 11 as we continue our study of the book of Judges. Judges chapter 6 at verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree which was at Ophrah which belonged to Joash the Abizorite while his sons Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat 
and the unleavened bread, and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it is still an Ophrah of the Abiezrites. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God <clears throat> endures forever. Um, as I have prepared uh, to this little mini-series on Gideon, I have found that there are several things that uh, Gideon and I have in common, and you're going to see some of those, and most of them have to do with his failures. But um, there is another similarity that I did find between Gideon and myself, and that is that <clears throat> God's call on our lives was utterly traumatizing. Uh, <clears throat> I've maybe never told you this story, um, but when I was... You know, I'd graduated from the University of Tennessee, and I'd been working for Procter & Gamble for a couple of years and down in South Florida, and um, was enjoying that, that is, life in South Florida. But God began to work on both Susie and me. And I was engaged in a, a group of, a prayer group with a group of men, and the more I was there, uh, the more I sensed that this is what I wanted to do with my life, and then I got involved in an evangelism program and saw people come to know Christ and thought, oh my. If God can use me now, he can use me for a lifetime. And so <clears throat> we begin to have to wrestle with the issues of um, moving off or moving away from a very, well, at least in my mind, was a very promising career. Um, some of the things that happened around the, about the last six weeks were somewhat embarrassing. That is, I wouldn't want to tell you what I did. Well, let me go ahead and tell you. I lied. <clears throat> um, my boss called me and and said, uh, now, well, you know, we kind of hear some things about you, and, uh, you know, are you, are you going to head to seminary or not? And I said, oh, no. And they said, okay, well, then we're going to bring down the, uh, the big boss, uh, Ace Howard, A.C. Howard, who was one of the top five men in Procter & Gamble, and he came down to take my wife and myself out to supper, make sure that she wasn't a communist. And then <clears throat> um, once he discovered that, they uh, promoted me. And then I had to call them and tell them that I had lied. That was awful. But <clears throat> that was just the beginning of the trauma. Um, I remember the day that I had to meet with my boss and turn in my, my company car. <laughs> they used to let us drive that thing anywhere we wanted to, all personal miles. We could take it on vacation if we wanted to for four cents a mile. Four cents a mile. <laughs> anyway, I met with him at, a, at a, a parking lot and turned in my car and turned in all my expense checks. And, oh, it was... It was traumatizing. And then, then having to think that my wife was going to have to re-enter the labor market and uh, pulling up on the campus of Reform Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, and, and uh, about 5 o'clock one evening, and the place was shutting down, and the executive uh, secretary was uh, a man, Ed Williford, was walking out. <clears throat> and I mean, I almost bit his head off. Rolled down the window and said, where are we going to live? What are we going to do? What are we going to eat? What are we gonna do? And, he, and he looked at me, and he said, relax. We're not going to let you starve. That was the first words I heard from any representative of the Reform Seminary when I arrived. You're not going to starve. <laughs> but really, we didn't have a place to stay. We didn't know where to live. We didn't know what, uh, we had no visible means of support. And it was traumatizing. Well, but very honestly, that compares 
not even favorably with what Gideon went through. Uh, I think we can safely say that Gideon was fairly traumatized by God's call on his life as well, but probably far more than I. Why? Well, first of all, <clears throat> the one that he meets up with um, is the angel of the Lord, an appearance of the angel of the Lord. And you and I have just said in the past that when you find that, that, that term, the angel of the Lord, you're, you're talking about a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Well, <clears throat> I have to tell you that um, the angel of the Lord didn't show up at my house. But he did show up in the experience in the life of Gideon. And um, as the, <clears throat> the story unfolds, you'll see that it takes a while for Gideon to figure out who it is that is visiting him. And when he finally does, he's terrified. It's mentioned in verse 22. Now that he figures out that he's uh, in dialogue with the angel of the Lord, he's ready. He's saying, oh, no, I'm going to die now. Um, so he's, he comes into the whole conversation reluctantly. And then when he finds out who he's dealing with, oh, my, he's terrified. And emotion, by the way, which um, most 21st century Christians are uh, foreign to. That is, uh, we've been told that somehow God has been tamed and that we need not fear him any longer. And that, ladies and gentlemen, has robbed the church. It's robbed the church of a great sense of the magnitude of grace and the profundity of sin because we somehow have tamed him. But not for Gideon. Gideon understood that he was in a dialogue with the divine and he was terrified. Ladies and gentlemen, if you can find yourself in the presence of God, if he were ever to show up here in that same way, the only, the only legitimate emotion is one of terror in the presence of this God. Secondly, you will also see that the angel of the Lord calls him, you mighty man of valor. Well, that was almost laughable in the life of Gideon. <coughs> um, man of valor. And he even responds, wait, 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 wait. You got the wrong guy. You know, here I am um, uh, threshing my wheat in the wine press. Did you get that? You don't thresh wheat in the wine press, ladies and gentlemen. You crush grapes in a wine press. But Gideon is out there hiding, cowering from the Midianites. And my clan is the least in all Manasseh. I mean, we're the, we're the bottom of the barrel when it comes to the tribe of Manasseh. And not only that, I'm the youngest. I'm the least in my family. My brothers had been killed, and you'll find that out later on. His brothers had been killed by the Midianites, and I'm the baby in the family. What? You've called me mighty men of valor? Mighty men of valor don't hide in wine presses and thresh wheat. It's interesting to me, at least, that um, the angel's response in verse 14 is one of great patience. He doesn't lash out into Gideon's uh, insolent remarks. He simply reminds him that, it, um, that he can indeed, he does expect him indeed, to go out in this might of yours and save Israel. But anyone can tell that Gideon, Gideon was no mighty man of valor. And so that was upsetting. To, um, to, to Gideon, but the thing that traumatized him the most, and ladies and gentlemen, it's a real lesson here for you and me, I think. If you'll notice in verse 13, Gideon said to him, uh, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? You know, ladies and gentlemen, uh, difficulty has a way of shaking us to the very base of our belief system. And uh, here is Gideon, after seven years of Midianite oppression, is wondering, you know, where has God gone? And then God shows up and says, 
the Lord is with you. Ah, the Lord is with us. Then why am I experiencing all this pain? Why is life not working out the way I had hoped it would? What do you mean the Lord is with us? I mean, wait a minute here. <clears throat> My circumstances and that statement don't seem to mesh. In fact, if the Lord was really with us, if the Lord was really with us, then we wouldn't be having this difficulty. Is that so? You know, my brother and sister in Christ, I can show you another story in the life of Joseph. Where Joseph, you know the story of Joseph, how he went into prison and he got sold into this and went to prison and the lady accused him of uh, harassing her sexually and a whole business. And you, and you find this constant mention three or four times that in the midst of Joseph, Joseph's life looking like it was a mess, saying, and the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's not where I want the Lord to be with me, you know, or that's not what I want if the Lord is with me. Gang, difficulty is one of those things that begin to make us wonder. Is the Lord really with us? Is the Lord really with me? Very honestly, ladies and gentlemen, if you have gone through times of great struggle and trial and difficulty, I think one of the things that you might wonder is, am I really His? Is he really related to me? Because my circumstances don't seem to suggest to me at least that he's with me. Gang, um, there's nothing so dangerous than to try and measure what the Lord is up to in your life by your circumstances. Your circumstance is bad. Well, it doesn't mean that the Lord has left you. It may mean just the opposite. Don't forget that, brother and sister. Don't forget that like, like so many of us who have gone through difficulty and difficulty and wondered, where is God? Well, I'll tell you where he is. He's right in that lion's den with you. He's right in there, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, though you may... Um, Hurt. That doesn't necessarily mean that God has abandoned you. That was traumatizing for poor Gideon. The very idea that that God comes and says, I'm with you. When I look around myself, it certainly doesn't look like he's with me. And then finally, another piece of trauma, I think, for poor Gideon in the midst of his call. He, um, we're told in verse 15 that the angel of the Lord says, I want you to go save Israel. Save Israel. How? With, um, with the meager and the paltry uh, resources at my disposal? What do you mean? I'm going to save Israel. How? And at that moment, ladies and gentlemen, Gideon faces a real crisis of faith. Now, do you know what I mean by a crisis of faith? I want you to see one that I think is so clearly illustrative. See if you can find Second Chronicles real quick. 2 Chronicles 25. I've got to tell you this story fast because we really need to move to the sacrament. It is the focus of our worship this morning. 2 Chronicles 25. <clears throat> uh, let me just tell you the story. This is a, a king of Israel who's about to um, um, get into a war with somebody. 
and he calls all of Benjamin and Judah together, and uh, he founds that he finds that he has three hundred thousand choice men. That's in verse five. Verse six. He also hired one hundred thousand mighty men of valor from Israel for one hundred thousand talents of silver. But a man of God came to him. All right, you see what's happening. Amaziah is ready to enter a battle. He's got 300,000 people in his army, and he goes out and hires another 100,000 from another nation, mercenaries. And then, verse 7, but a man of God came to him and says, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, not with any of the children of Ephraim, but if you go, be gone, be strong in battle. Even so, God shall make you fall before the enemy, for God has power to help and overthrow. So the man of God comes and says, don't go, don't, don't take those 100,000 mercenaries with you. God's not with them. Now look in verse 9. Then Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do about the 100,000, the 100 talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? That, ladies and gentlemen, is a crisis of faith. I just gave them 100 talents of silver, and you've told me that God doesn't want me to take them what am I going to do about my money? Um, that, ladies and gentlemen, is a crisis of faith. Do I trust in what I've heard from God, or what am I going to do about my money? My point is, Gideon faces one of those things. I'm going to deliver Israel how? And then we're told in verse 16, um, in Judges chapter 6, uh, surely says, God, I will be with you. Now, gang, when Susie and I were called into the ministry, um, we didn't do things perfectly. Um, and we learned a lot of lessons from our failings and, our, um, and the, the, the call of God on our lives into the ministry. And um, I think there are some lessons as we watch God call Gideon too. I just want to leave you with two of them. Two quick lessons. Things that I hope will um, give you a sense of calling as well. There's two lessons. First of all, why on earth would God use or choose to use Gideon. I mean, Gideon said it himself. I'm a nobody. My family's a nobody. Our clan's a nobody. I'm a nobody. I'm, all, I'm, 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 I'm the youngest. I, I don't have anything to offer. You know, guys, um, why does God do that? Why doesn't he use angels to get his job done? They could do it a whole lot better than me and you. Why doesn't God call up a, a Gabriel to lead Gracie Van. You'd be a whole lot better off, I guarantee you. But you're stuck with me. Why does God call out Gideons? Why does he use them? Why doesn't he replace us all with angels to get his job done? Well, it's obviously not his way. And let me read you why. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians. Don't turn. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. 
But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring about, to bring to nothing things that are. That no flesh, that no flesh would glory in his presence. You know, guys, not many wise, not many intelligent. What God does is choose fools. That's what it says. He chooses the foolish. Like us. And the reason that he does so is that when some kind of victory occurs, when some kind of advance in the kingdom takes place, that nobody will ever say, oh, we know how that happened because Dr. Young was such a fine pastor. Nobody would dream of saying that, ladies and gentlemen. Nobody ought to dream of giving credit to any human instrument. What we all ought to realize is that God chose a fool. He chose someone not wise and, un, and unintelligent, Gideon, so that when deliverance finally takes place, that there's only one place where glory will reside. Oh, my. Oh, my. Look what God has done. Through Gideon. Who would have ever expected? Gang, the issue when God calls us to some kind of service in his kingdom never has anything to do with our capabilities. You know, Moses pulled this stunt too. But here's Gideon saying, well, God, you know, I can't speak. I'm not a very good spokesman. Gideon's saying, you know, I'm the least. I'm the least in the clan. You know, that might sound like humility. It's not. What it is is irrelevant. Because if God has urged you in a direction, then I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, the issue has nothing to do with your capabilities. There is not any special gifts or qualifications for effectiveness. The issue is, and I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, everything in life pivots around what God says to Gideon in chapter in verse 16. Surely, Surely I will be with you. You know, guys, um, that's really the second lesson I wanted you to see. But before I get to that, let me just say this. Every one of you, every one of you are um, subject to the call of God in your lives. And I've heard you, I hope you've heard it. Because you know what? God chooses not many wise, not many intelligent. He takes the foolish of the world like us. And he chooses to use folks like you. Any of you who sit in chairs thinking, well, you know, I don't know a whole lot of theology and I do, 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 do. Let me tell you, that's not humility. That's irrelevant. 
because you are assuming that God could never do anything because you're not anything. Well, you got half of it right. You're not. We're not. The issue doesn't hinge on all of our great training and capability. That's irrelevant. <laughs> and then you see that all of this decision, all of this ministry, all of this deliverance, all of this usefulness pivots around, I will be with you. Everything Gideon needs is going to be supplied in that one little statement. Nothing about resources, nothing about strategy and plans and how you're going to conduct the warfare. He gets that later. Because the who is enough. You see, ladies and gentlemen, it, 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 is, it is his presence that provides victory and the strength and the capabilities and the stability and the serenity and the, to, to, to do things in the kingdom. Let me close with this. Do you know what that ought to do to us? First of all, I hope it will encourage you, ladies and gentlemen, because I want you, you, you need, you need to have some sense of how God has called you. That God has asked you in some way to be involved into the construction of his kingdom. And he uses fools like us. But secondly, gang, what I think it ought to do to you is drive you into a posture of prayer. Because the issue, the issue has nothing to do with how witty and cute and, and how homiletical, homiletically precise I might be from this bullet. If you walk out of here with anything from God, it will be because, not Jimmy's sermon was so wonderful. That's one of the reasons that I hate to hear you say when you walk out, ooh, I really enjoyed that sermon. Because ladies and gentlemen, you know, we're not here, I'm not here to, to give you enjoyment. The issue is not whether my sermon was entertaining. The issue is, has God been with him? Did God cloak him? Because if he did, then something good will, 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 will result. The whole of life, ladies and gentlemen, everything that we are and, and do for the kingdom of God pivots around. I will be with you. That should drive us into a posture of prayer. Gang, when it does, and when God sees fit to take the foolish and the unwise and the unintelligent and to use them, oh my, wonderfully great things occur. Let's pray. Our Father, um, I do pray that you will give your people a sense of having been called that you will give your people a sense of the usefulness that they, um, that they can have and should have. And that shrinking from duty because of the lack of resources is a, is a false excuse because the issue is not our capabilities, oh God. The issue is, have you called? 
Have you? Have you directed? Have you led? Have you guided? And if you have, every resource that's needed will be available. Oh God, raise up from this marvelously talented group of people, men and women who understand that the issue is not our talents. The issue is pleading for God's presence to be among us. Oh, Holy Ghost of God, dwell among us and meet us at this table. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.